Welcome to episode 141 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with sacrament trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all of the podcast players or by going to sycamore.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us in Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Marine Corps veteran and veteran advocate Dean Dufinet to talk about his support for his veteran brothers and sisters but also his fellow Native and tribal veterans. Dean is an enrolled member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians and is the president and CEO of Native Eco Solutions, a consulting firm that has the goal of connecting tribal communities with opportunities to improve the quality of life of their people by inspiring collaboration in Indian country and matching indigenous values with strong business fundamentals in order to improve tribal communities. You can find out more about Dean by checking out his bio in our show notes, Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Dean, I'm looking forward to a great conversation, really to continue a conversation that you and I have been having recently, but first would like to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. As you mentioned, my name is Dean Dufinay. I was Born and raised on the Spirit Lake Nation Reservation, I am an enrolled member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. My mother is Dakota and my dad is Ojibwe. So that's how that goes. That's how that relationship right out of the gates. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I served from 95 to 99. Served what's 1st Battalion, 1st Marines, 1st Marine Division for a couple of years before I transferred over to Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton for my final year. So I had a very unique four-year term in the Marine Corps, being in with the infantry battalion and then going to the base. I had a very unique duty there with the Office of the Marine Corps, General, General Hanlon at the time. Since my time in the Marine Corps, I continue to try to do veterans advocacy work. I've worked in the nonprofit sector for many years, helping veterans, specifically homeless veterans, get back on their feet. And during that time, I got to obviously get exposed to all the issues that veterans face from suicide ideation, homicide ideation, and all the mental health disorders and issues and things of that nature and working with multifaceted teams and with wraparound services and all that type of thing to help veterans get back on their feet. So I could continue to do that work. I love it. It's a big passion of mine. And in the recent years, I have turned focus towards my fellow Native American veterans, just seeing a void there for advocacy really is what I've seen. Being a fly on the wall and observing some of the groups that are supposed to be doing this type of advocacy, I just don't see it as adequate. And I'm just at an age right now where I feel like my voice is as good as any at this point. I feel like based on my professional experience, where I come from, and the people I've talked to over the years, I feel like it's time for me to step up into a more of a prominent role in that respect. No, I absolutely agree. And I think it's really interesting as you're talking about first, you're doing a lot of veteran advocacy based on your veteran experience and really your veteran identity. And then now morphing the two of those, 
want to go back to something that you mentioned, your time of service, you served for four years. It, absolutely. That's wonderful. But when you served, I actually had a veteran one time who was a Marine who served about the same time. And he was very disgruntled about serving the mid to late nineties. Cause he said, I joined the Marines and peace broke out. Like we were doing things <laughs> right in the late nineties, but that's really sort of like the cold war veterans between Vietnam and the Gulf war, the first Gulf war. That's a little bit strange of a time to have served too late for the Persian Gulf War, a little too early for OIF, OEF. Yeah, that's true. I'm not mad at it, honestly. The way I kind of look at that is I deployed, I just, I deployed once to the Middle East. And like I said, it was relative peace in the world at that time. So we did our, our flow, essentially going to the Middle East and training in, in Kuwait for you know, a month or so and turning back around and heading home. But the way, for my own personal experience and the way I view that is that, you know, since I have all my faculties about me and that, you know, I didn't experience combat and those types of things. So it's my charge to, to now serve the veterans that have gone through those experiences and do whatever I can in my power, at my knowledge and things that I've learned over the years to try to help them with that transition back home and integrate back into their families, back into society and try to be productive people, which we all set off to be anybody who served in the military. That's one of the overarching goals we go in for us. Get some skills and some discipline so that we can be productive in this world. In Marine Corps boot camp, it may have changed, but it don't change all that much. But again, you have the military experience. You have the experience of being away from family, all of those things. I, I think that especially as we emerge into the post-global war on terror era, for many years, that was the norm. We had small conflicts. This past 20 years of the sustained conflicts, your military experience, regardless of when it was or how it happened, has still been a benefit in you supporting other veterans. 100%. Yeah. I don't get caught up in the generational thing as much. I feel like I'm one of those people who tries to be a connector. I don't try to find a way to divide my time of service is better or worse than the others. It just is what it is for the time frame that people are going through it. Although I do see that some of the standard being lowered in certain branches and things like that. And I look at that like, well, when I was in the core, it was this. And then I find myself like, oh, I'm becoming that guy. That just comes with age. I feel like, I feel like anybody who ever put on that uniform and served, it's, it's such a valuable experience and, and it's an honor to have done so. And so I feel like we just we deserve that attention enough to, to make sure that when we're transitioning back home that we are able to integrate and we're able to have some services to tap into, to help us with those transitions, help us figure things out. And especially the folks that have gone through traumatic events and experienced combat and all of that, it makes it extra difficult. And we always say that the, the, the veteran themselves, the service member are not the only ones who go through that, right? Their family members are also serving during that time and they're in their ways and they're going through. All the things that the service members going through, they're feeling that effect of it all too. So I think it's important to make that distinction about the family aspect of the whole service member serving as well. Everybody's included in that whole dynamic. Yeah. And I'm curious how much of that relates to when you introduced yourself, you first identified your native and tribal identity, and then secondarily your veteran identity. If somebody asked me, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, I read to I identify my military identity first, but for you, the native and tribal connection is very significant. A lot of discussion about the need to support diverse veterans these days, both as we have on this show, but also in the, the space in general. 
But we've had a lot of discussion about, you and I have had some discussions about this, specifically how that relates to Native and tribal veterans and the work that you've done with them. Yeah, I, I just, like I said, mentioned a little bit earlier, I think there needs to be more focus put on to the, we call it the underserved populations of the veteran community. And that's really where there's just gaps. There's just gaps. There's a lack of, I would say, you've helped me correct. You've helped frame this up a little bit better. Cultural competency. What's the term that you like to use? Cultural responsivity, being able to be responsive to cultures. Because I won't be able to be competent in your culture any more than you would be able to be competent in mine being an outsider. Yeah. And I, I like how you helped to frame that up because that's really what it is ultimately. But they just, yeah, I feel like there's some cookie cutter approaches to dealing with all veterans in some ways, right? So I feel like there just needs to be, you know, and, and it goes with advocacy, I feel like. The more advocacy you have for any of those groups, the more attention they're going to get and potentially more services, more funding, things of that nature. I consider myself a, a mouthpiece in that respect. Of, uh, I'm okay with speaking up at this point now. Like I said, I've been observing from afar for a long time. I've been in the, I've been in the mix, right? I've been involved. I've been helping. But just not really ever stepping out in more of that like prominent role, like I was saying, to be some kind of, I don't know, I, I don't like to use work spokesperson or something like that. That's why I say mouthpiece, because I know a lot of veterans can relate to that kind of lingo. There's somebody who's willing to step up and speak up about these issues, right? Uh, because if you don't have that, then nothing really, nothing's going to change. The, the word isn't going to get up to the levels it needs to in order to affect change. It's time that uh, we get to get together and try to build some coalitions, try to build some advocacy groups that we can maybe be heard at the highest levels. Some of that works went on as well right now too. So I'm, I'm happy about that. What I really appreciate about the approach that I see you taking is your experience in the military and veteran support space. And then how do you apply that to your native and tribal community, right? One of the things is you've recently, and you intend to continue a native veteran stand down in North Dakota. Like we're all familiar with stand downs, right? This is an annual event, but just past year you had supported a stand down specifically for native and tribal communities. I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Thank you for shining the light on that. That was obviously a passion project, right? Where it's never been done before in this kind of a way. It was the inaugural event. We pulled together all the tribes from North Dakota and the way we went about doing it. And this is the way I feel like this cultural responsivity angle comes in, or in my case, I guess I can consider a level of competence there. The way that I went to do it is I didn't want it to come from me saying like, Hey, you guys need to do this event. I have an idea for this event and this is how you need to implement it. This is how you go about doing it. I wanted the buy-in from each of the tribes. And the way that I went about doing it is working directly with their tribal veteran service officers, whoever's assigned to in that specific role. So each of the tribes in North Dakota has a TVSO. So I connected with them. I went to their tribes, sat down across the desk from them, meet, meet with them and share the concept and everything and get the buy-in first before even stepping off on trying to plan it further because I wasn't hundred percent certain that's what they wanted either. But I thought could be a good idea, but let me go to the people who it's going to affect and whose help we're going to need to run the thing and, and get the word out about it. Let's see if they think it's a good idea as well. Thankfully, it worked out that way. That was the case. Everybody saw the value in it. So we held the first event at Spirit Lake Casino and on the Spirit Lake Nation Reservation there. And it was successful. It was successful. I was really impressed by the VA's response. 
the VA really came out in full force. We had VA Veterans Benefit Administration, Representation, Veterans Health Administration. We had a lot of NGOs there, non-governmental organizations there that serve veteran population. So we were having claims filed at the event. The big thing right now, obviously, PAC Act is a big deal. So we have presentations on these things and the veterans had a lot of time to engage one-on-one, ask questions. So we want, we made sure to build into our agenda time to just freely, openly speak, ask questions, give comments and things of that nature. We also did host a listening session towards the end of it, just helping to understand what it is that they're going through as well as things that they need help with or things they just want to express. So yeah, that was, it was successful. We want to build on that. And the, the whole kind of overarching idea behind that is giving the veteran, the native veterans in the state of North Dakota, something to look forward to every year and somewhere where if you don't make your VA appointments all throughout the year, at least if you go to stand down once a year, you, you can probably get caught up on a lot of things regarding your veteran services, including claims and, and just knowledge and education on what there is to offer out there, like uh, Native American direct home loans. And there's just, there's just a lot of benefits that I feel like if the veterans knew more about them and were properly educated on them, they would engage in them, like the Voc Rehab program, right? They don't call it Voc Rehab anymore. It's BRE. But yeah, so that, that event is going to kick off planning for year two here just in the coming weeks, bringing back all the tribal VSOs together as a part of the committee. And I help facilitate those meetings and uh, disseminate information and, and involve the tribes as the highest levels that they want to be involved in. So we, we invite the tribal council as well to be involved in these matters. And in the case of like the MHA nation, the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara, so they have pretty robust veteran services division. They have a veterans affairs essentially. So they have a director of the program and then under them, they have their TVSO is under the director and then they have outreach personnel, they have administrative staff and everything. It's probably the most robust veterans services division that I've seen that any tribe really have. So there's different models. So there's that end of the spectrum, but then you've got the other couple other tribes that have one person as a part of running all their veterans services and not even are they dedicated to one full-time employee. And two examples, the people that I'm referring to have like 0.20 of their time to supposedly do veteran services. So that involves claims, that involves veterans burials, that involves the powwows, the celebrations that go on and any other kind of things that you want and you hope to be doing with veterans throughout the year. So that involves Veterans Day celebrations, Memorial Day events, uh, things of that nature. So I know a lot of the TVSOs are understaffed, you know, they need more resources in that respect as well. And that kind of speaks to some of the things that I'll hope to be advocating for in the coming months. I think that's amazing. And as you mentioned, like this will be an opportunity for native veterans in North Dakota, but this is also something I, I think can be done for tribes in Washington state or the Carolinas or sort of Delaware, Philly, New Jersey area. I, I could see this being done where maybe native and tribal veterans may not feel comfortable reaching them. Maybe they go to their local VA and they say, oh, this place may not be for me, even though it is, but they maybe personally have some barriers that will have them engage. This is a place that is, this is for you. This is a safe and a trusted place supported by other native and tribal veterans that can, like you said, get them the 
the services that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the services obviously are huge and the education component of it, but that camaraderie piece, that's huge, right? Having the tribes come together like that, the veterans from various tribes. One of my favorite things about that whole event is just observing them mingle a little bit and network and talk. And some of them are going and saying hi to an old friend they haven't seen for many years. Maybe they competed in high school in basketball back in the day, or they used to be on the powwow trail together back in the day or something. They just, for whatever reason, it's having cross paths. And that event brought people together in that kind of a way. And, and in our culture, those kind of community type of events is really critical. It's critical to that, to a lot of reasons, right? Being a lot of things like that, but we crave that connection in those kinds of ways. But yeah, the camaraderie piece is huge and we are designing the event in a way that can be replicated in other states as well, right? Creating a model, maybe a template, if you will, where any tribe with a little consultation and we can help them learn how to implement the uh, Native American stand down in, in their area, wherever they're at. And I think it is important. I, I know I'm, we're spoiled in San Diego about the stand down event. Stand down, there's this huge originated there. And, and so I was part of the bigger stand down in the downtown area of San Diego. I was also a founding board member for the North County veteran stand down in San Diego, where the, a lot of veterans in North County of San Diego thought that they were, and, and, and that was the case. Um, a lot of times they're forgotten about uh, it just for whatever reasons, there's just just a disconnect. So the group, a group of veterans got together north of San Diego County and said they want to do their own kind of stand down. So yeah, the hopes are let's get this template down. Let's get the, continue the successful track it's on. And maybe with further advocacy, we can help other tribes do something similar for their specifically. I was okay. Like I, this day and age, I'm okay with calling it out and saying, Hey, this is a native American veteran stand up. There was discussion, right? Oh, it got to be inclusivity and all this kind of stuff. And I'm all for that, by the way, but I'm also for us standing down and focusing in on our native veterans for once, right? This, I feel like we get lumped into a bunch of other things that don't suit us, don't fit us. And that's why there's a lot of low participation in these things as well. It's just because we can look at those things and say like, that doesn't seem like something I'm interested in doing. There's nothing there really for me. And so back to the stand down thing where the further I got away from San Diego and I heard about how groups do stand down, it's kind of more of a resource fair. It's not really necessarily a stand down event. And there's some of them are four hours, half a day and four hours, and they call it a stand down, but it's really just a, a resource there. So, uh, we wanted to do it a little bit, you know, some kind of a hybrid between a, a big San Diego type stand down and the resource fair. So we're in the middle of it, but, but yeah, we, we had a great collaborator or the main partner in the whole thing was the university of North Dakota's native American aging in place program. So that's how this whole thing started, by the way, I should have mentioned that a while ago. They have a grant where they have an objective of the grant to serve the native veterans in North Dakota. That's how I got involved. They learned about my background in advocacy. They interviewed me and asked me if I could help them with that objective. And through the process of trying to understand what the objectives were in the grant, that's where it came out of, sounds like what you guys like to have done here is, is a, a, an event type of thing like that. And then in my mind, I, I go to stand out right away. It's like, yeah, that's how it all kicked off. And we don't feel like we have the, the model down pat yet. 
We're thinking of rotating it amongst the tribes in the state of North Dakota. There's also an idea of potentially doing it this time of year right now in North Dakota, there's a big event that goes on of United Tribes. So that's a, it's a big, there's a week long summit leading up to the weekend where their powwow kicks off, a bunch of sporting events and things of that nature. So everybody's converging on Bismarck, North Dakota this time of year from North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Montana region. So there's a, there's an idea that they're on around there too, of maybe we do it at a central place where everybody's coming anyway and build it in for that. But yeah, we're still, it's still a work in progress like anything, right? We're taking our lessons learned, doing our after action, all that good stuff and, and trying to build this model for the long haul. Applying our military experience in post-military life, something you said there, you were talking about how important it was for your culture to have this community gathering. And I got the sense that you're mentioning your native and tribal culture, but that's also to your veteran culture. Like you could have, that was absolutely the thing is, this is where I think the intersectionality between your native and tribal identity and your veteran identity, and just like all other kinds of intersectionality, whatever your cultural heritage and your military experience or whatever, I think it's a really powerful way to put those two things together. I agree, man. I, I'm... I feel so strongly about that camaraderie and that connection piece that I founded a nonprofit in 2016 called All-Star Vets. And for me, part of my, my self-care has always been being involved in athletics and sports and things, right? For the reasons of getting the, going to a place where you can blow off some steam, get some exercise and things, but also that camaraderie, that team aspect of it. I always liked that, right? And especially after getting out of the Marine Corps, you crave that. You never quite get it ever again. You find out to that level of camaraderie that you have of, of serving with people in the military, but you, you can get, you can get aspects of that through sports and activities like that. So I founded that and that was what it was all about. And again, when I, when we started posting events and things, I, I would sit back and observe and I saw that camaraderie. I saw that networking. I saw that connecting and that those types of things really affirmed to me that the mission we were on was a valuable mission. And, and it was also a, oh, how do you want to say gap or a blind spot that in, even in San Diego with all the activities can be evolved enough that there was a gap in this kind of an area connecting veterans in that kind of way. So I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel or do something somebody was already doing and try to do it better than them. I'm not that type of person. So we set it up and it was going really well. And of course it's events based, COVID hit. And things just had to, everything had to be put on pause and now looking to repurpose that, that mission and do this kind of work that I'm talking about now with our native veterans and everything, but still keeping that in, in mind of, I, I see that as a big benefit to get our veterans more involved in sports, recreation, kind of leisure type activities, just as a way of decompressing, also connecting, maybe you're sharing while you're there and things. There's some really good veteran groups out there doing that kind of work. So I, I applaud those groups that are, that's that as well as a valuable thing in the better. I once heard somebody in, in like, maybe we'll talk about gender differences, but uh, women connect face to face, but men connect shoulder to shoulder uh, along a line of football game or next to baseball is sitting in the dugout, right? But there's, there is, but that is, there's not a lot of opportunities for men to connect shoulder to shoulder without those kind of things. And again, it, lots of different differences. Dean. You and I can and likely will be talking for many hours, but a long time. 
But I wanted to provide an opportunity. If folks wanted to find out more about the work that you're doing, connect with you, maybe visit your website and get involved in some of the stuff that you're doing, how can they do that? Yeah, so I'm not a big social media influencer or anything like that, right? But uh, you find me on LinkedIn, things like that. I also have a website for a small business that I run called Native Eco Solutions. So I do government contract consultation, government grants consultation. We do project management, marketing, strategic planning. We do have a focus in, in, in Indian country for that as well. So it's working with tribes, tribal governments, tribal enterprises, and talk about, I really love what I'm doing um, in that respect. So that's why it's a beautiful thing to be able to have my focus on native veterans as well. I'm not veering off and doing separate work with it. It all ties in. So I'm really enjoying this time in my career and the path that I'm on right now with all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I can be, reach out to me on, if you see me on Facebook or, and LinkedIn and things of that nature, or on our website, nativeecosolutions.com. So yeah, reach out. Let's have any interest in helping the cause or have any, ever have any questions about this. I'm doing some great work right now to bring veterans together, some listening sessions to do what we talked about a little earlier about helping to understand some of the misconceptions about Native veterans, like we all are rich off of casinos or something. Or some, when I was in the military, this is a true story. When people found out I was Native, they asked me if we, we still lived in teepees. This is back in the 1900s, but not, that, it's not too Not that, not the 1900s, not early. Yeah, this is yeah, a yeah. century, but not two centuries ago. No, I absolutely think that the work that you're doing is beneficial and will continue to be beneficial. So not just thank you for the work, but thank you for coming on the show today. Hey man, thank you for what you're doing and helping to spread the word on these things is, is a big deal. I want to be like you when I grew up, man. You keep doing that good work. I appreciate it. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. Psychomer offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dean as much as I did. As you likely inferred, I've had several conversations with Dean, and he's involved in additional projects with Psycharmor, as you heard him refer to as well. So I'm glad to have been able to introduce him to the audience. One point that I'd like to bring up is something that Dean referred to and that I touched on at his prompting, the concept of cultural responsivity. In 1995, Dr. Diane Adams introduced the concept of a continuum of cultural competence in a compilation she edited, Health Issues for Women of Color, a Cultural Diversity Perspective. Dr. Adams stated that cultural competence needs to be seen as part of a continuum. First, you have cultural awareness. You, as an individual, understand that there are differences between your culture and other cultures. Then you have cultural knowledge in which you familiarize yourself with select cultural characteristics, history, values, belief systems, and behaviors of the members of another culture. Then you have cultural sensitivity, in which you have the ability to be appropriately responsive to the attitudes, feelings, and circumstances of another cultural group. And then finally, cultural competence, in which you can function effectively and appropriately in diverse cultural interactions and settings. A couple of points here, and I promise not to get under my soapbox too long, but when we consider this continuum related to veteran culture, Many times we think that having cultural knowledge equals competence. Another presentation on the differences between officer enlisted, army and navy, rank structure, that's providing information and helping to develop knowledge. 
the continuum goes farther than that for veterans, and in this case, Native and tribal cultures as well. Knowing is not the same thing as application competence. Over the past several years, colleagues have helped me develop the understanding that cultural competence, that last stage in that continuum, may be more appropriately termed cultural responsivity, in that by developing awareness, knowledge, and cultural sensitivity, I might ultimately get to a place where I am appropriately responsive to a culture that is different than my own. But true competence comes from lived experience, developed over years of living within that culture. And this is not an attempt to divide out who is able to claim competence or not, or to create divisions, but instead to be accurate with our terms. While I would hope to say that I am sensitive and responsive to the experiences of women veterans of color, I feel like it would be the height of disrespect if I were to say that I was culturally competent, given my own identity as a middle-aged white male veteran. So a bit more of an expansion on the concept of the continuum of cultural responsivity. I could go on more, but this is Dean's episode, not mine. If you're interested in more of a conversation, I've got slides and everything, reach out and let us know. So I hope you appreciated my conversation with Dean. If you did, we'd appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psycharmer Resource of the Week, I'd like to share a course on community organizing and collaboration, why collaboration is so important in supporting military members, veterans, their families, and caregivers. This course is designed for community leaders interested in exploring some key components to a successful collaborative journey. You will learn how collaboration can provide the structure needed to impact the lives of military-connected people. You can find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the Psychummer website, psychummer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psychummer on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by Psycharmor. Much appreciation to the team at Psycharmor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator. Support and transcripts by Emma Atheroff. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.